0: Organic farming is steadily increasing. That's good.
1: Pour parler d'agriculture et d'Europe à la jeunesse. The climate change affects ever more parts of the world. Farmers help us bring nature back and preserve biodiversity. Ceux qui sont dans le rouge s'en sortent quand ils font plus vert. La qualité dans ce pays, elle doit être là pour tous.
0: 1,167 square centimetres of space, all to yourself, about the size of a doormat. Well, in this age of social distancing, it's not good enough for humans. But for a hen laying organic eggs, it's the minimum they can expect thanks to EU legislation. In fact, behind the reassurance offered by, say, an organic egg, lies a battery – excuse the pun – of regulatory measures to create an open and transparent market with minimum standards. Welcome to this, the second episode of Food for Europe, a series of podcasts from the European Commission's Directorate General of Agriculture and Rural Development, shining a spotlight on organic farming and food. My principal guest for this episode is the Director General of DG Agri, Wolfgang Bürcher. And he began by discussing the substance of the new EU legal framework for organic food,
1: which will come into force next January. What we have done in this legislation is to look at the deficiencies and weaknesses and gaps of the existing legislation, and we have tried to improve. The result is, to to make a long story short, is that we provide with this new legal framework uh, evolution Another revolution. You know, our objective is 25% of agricultural land in Europe covered by organic farming. So we need to provide incentives for farmers to become uh, organic farmers, and not only big ones, but also small ones. We have gone for a so called group certification that permits uh, reducing administrative fur- f- burden for farmers who want to adhere to the system. So, I think that's one important element. The second element in terms of changes is that uh, since the demand for organic production is increasing, we have also to cover sectors that have been not covered until now, like sectors like salt, like cork, like cotton, like essential oils are points that we have covered. But the sector felt we need more detailed rules. And I'm coming back to the question of overregulation. For example, what are the key elements for an organic rabbit, an organic deer? And I think, again, here, the new rules provide more clarity.
0: But it took the Council and the Parliament a long time to digest the Commission's proposal. And they came up with so many changes of their own. How challenging was that?
1: Just to give you a flavour of the length of the procedure... The Commission has proposed a new legislative framework in 2014 and uh, the trilogue negotiations amongst the co-legislators were only finalized in 2018. So it shows that this was a quite challenging uh, endeavor to find a compromise amongst the different interests of member states, of European Parliament, of stakeholders. to give you an example of one of the areas where it was difficult to find a compromise was, for example, the uh, presence of non-authorized products like pesticide in an organic product. So here it was about the level of uh, non-authorized products present, but in particular also about the question how to control it, who controls it, and what should be done if, in a product, non-authorized ingredients are discovered. This was just one example of uh, an area where it was difficult to find a, a compromise.
0: Well, I also spoke to Martin Hausling, a German Green MEP who was the European Parliament's rapporteur on this dossier, and here's how he characterized the four years of discussions.
1: It wasn't easy, as the length of the
0: negotiations demonstrated, because there was no great willingness to reform. Because, for example, many organic associations said, we only need a few EU regulations, we do everything ourselves. The big organic associations in particular then said, well, the European Union has to stay out of that, we define it." Importers then said, we don't want the European standard at all because there are difficulties with imports.
1: There was little enthusiasm, so to
0: speak, for a reform under the banner of redefining organic farming. It caused a lot of anger and annoyance within the organic scene because they were afraid that we would move away from the systemic approach to a purely pollutant-oriented approach. During the negotiations, we also noticed how great the differences actually are in the individual member states, there are three countries where, for example, this zero-definition, 0.0, is organic, so completely residue-free – Italy, Belgium and the Czech Republic. They still have the system and they insisted on it, while other countries said this doesn't work. That's why there were big differences among the EU's member states. Back to Herr Butcher. Given all the various interests at play during that process of crafting the regulation, to what extent are you concerned about actually having done too much about
1: over-regulation? We are in a single market, and organic production and the trading of organic products is becoming a very important element. So you need to ensure a level playing field. It is not conceivable that the standards for organic farming are different for farmers in different member states. So I think again, we have a very good case why we need to regulate organic farming on the European uh, level in order to ensure a level playing field in the single market. And then there is the question whether we have overregulated. And I think here we have to take into consideration also the demands of the stakeholders, of farmers, of traders, of consumers. And everybody is calling for a quite detailed set of rules, exactly in order to ensure that uh, we have this level playing field. Because if you are not specific enough in determining the responsibilities and obligations of farmers, you might create advantages for farmers who have to meet lower standards.
0: You're focused on raising standards for organic food in Europe, but what about so-called equivalence? the standards that apply to food from third countries that's imported into the EU and can be labelled organic nonetheless? Are consumers and farmers getting a fair deal?
1: Indeed, I think you touch upon a question that is becoming increasingly important generally for the European Union and specifically also for the common agricultural policy because, as you know, we raise the standards for our farmers, in particular in the context of the farm-to-fork strategy. And there is a concern out there that imports do not meet the same standards and requirements than our farmers have to comply with. And I think this uh, concern is also present with respect to organic farming. And evidently, there is also a big interest of consumers that imported products meet the same standards in terms of production, in terms of safety than our organic farming products. So if you have an organic production from Switzerland, the national authorities of Switzerland confirm the equivalence of the standard. Now, with respect to countries that are not covered uh, by such uh, equivalence agreements, uh, the European Commission, has designated control bodies which check imports from these countries uh, and these certifying bodies provide assurance that the imported products are meeting or are equivalent in organic terms, production methods to our production.
0: That was Wolfgang Bircher, the Director General of DG Agri. A reminder that the first episode in this series is available for download on DG Agri's website in English, French, and German. And the third episode, coming shortly, will be looking at organic labeling in the EU. For now, that's all from me. Goodbye. Organic farming is steadily
1: increasing. That's good. (laughs) For parler d'agriculture et d'Europe à la jeunesse. La climavande est en plus de plus de parts du monde. Les agriculteurs nous aident à nature et and preserve préserver la biodiversité. Ceux qui sont dans le rouge s'en sortent quand ils font plus vert. La qualité dans ce pays, elle doit être là pour tous